Welcome to your new money. I'm Brian Hirsch and this evening we're focusing on financial planning. A short while ago there was a belief that interest rates would reduce by a quarter of a percent. This did not happen, although economists are predicting lower interest rates in the months ahead. For those in debt it's indeed good news, however, for those in retirement it's not good news at all. Although statistics reflect that inflation has reduced, no one seems to notice lower costs. Everything seems to go up, and if you think of medical aids, the two largest medical aids already have announced the increases for 2018 between 7.9 and 8.9%. For retirees, I estimate inflation running at approximately 9%. For this reason, many people are looking at other ways to get the returns they need to beat inflation. And joining this evening are Daryl Bennett, Wealth Advisor of Sassfin Advisory Services, and Donovan Marie, Managed Director, Capta Financial Services. Donatha and Daryl, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Before Mark. we get into a financial plan, Donovan, I'm going to throw the first question to you. Sure. People are always trying to say, I don't want to take risk. I understand I need to beat inflation. Yes. So with this in mind, in the short term, it isn't possible. What is your advice to clients when they start saying to you, I don't want to take risk, but I good, need good returns. Everyone wants great returns, no risk. That's a great question, Brian. So unfortunately, there's no free lunch. So generally, the investment time horizon is going to dictate your asset composition that you're going to invest in. So if you're trying to beat inflation by 5%, you need to invest in growth assets and give yourself at least five years in order to outperform. Because in the short term, those growth assets are going to be very volatile. If you've only got a year to invest, you can't go in those investments that are mainly equity and property. You're going to have to be more in bonds and cash, which is not going to deliver and outperform inflation over the long term, like the growth assets that I explained earlier. So it's a tough one. You've got to balance the time frame with your asset allocation, unfortunately. Darrell, I particularly started with that question because so many people say, what sort of return I can get? But that's not the starting point of financial planning. It is the financial plan itself. And maybe you touched on it previously, but touch on it again. One, seeing clients, what information you've got to do. You, I think you've got a six-point plan. And then the most important, what, in, what makes up that financial plan? Okay, so it's a good question. First of all, when engaging with a client or the prospective client for the first time, it's important that the two are engaged with one another and, and there's a great rapport between the two of them. And as I said, it's like putting the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle together. You've got, to, you've got to paint the canvas or you've got to put the pieces together. You've got to listen to the client's story. You've got to, um, the six point process or the six points, the six step process of financial planning is defining the relationship, gathering the data, analyzing the data, making recommendations, implementation of the plan and monitoring and reviewing the plan. And that's the process that's governed by the Financial Planning Institute and the International Financial Planning Institute. So starting, I mean, we talk about this financial plan, you first talk about ma maintaining lifestyles, death too soon. We talk about death too late, the retirement component. We talk about what happens in between, the disability side, and all these things come together. And then, obviously, I always say the centerpiece being the will of a financial plan. Well, absolutely. You've got to listen to the client. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to hear their story. You've got, to, you've got to understand their relationship towards money. Have they come into money? Did they inherit money? Do they come from a poor background? You've got to understand where they've got to this point in time in order to help them go forward with a plan, be it estate planning, be it minimizing debt, be it cash flow planning, retirement planning, tax efficiency in the retirement plan, local investments versus offshore. One will pick up the, the, the clues once one has heard uh, or listened to the client's story. So Donovan, in your book, The Wealth Navigator System, Financial Freedom Made Simple, yes. you must often get questions, why do I need a financial planner? 
Exactly, and that's a good point. And I think it comes to, do I even need a financial plan? So I think often the terminology that we use in the industry, as soon as we say re financial plan, retirement planning, a lot of clients just switch off to that because it hasn't worked in the past. So we generally like to deal with wealth strategies. So how, what is the best way that you can actually manage your money? So the point of the book and the Wealth Navigator system, for us the ultimate goal is financial independence. So how do you have enough assets to receive an income which outweighs the monthly expenses that you've got? So what we did was, if there was a default paint by number system in terms of how to manage your money, what steps do you need to take? And we came up with that 14 step system, which takes every component that can be part of your personal finances and says, this is the order that we recommend doing it in because um, each one builds on top of the other one. So then Daryl, let, let's summarize, because I like our viewers to get something. Okay. What tips would you give to if South Africans to help them um, okay. manage their money better? First of all, you've got to have objectives, goals and strategies. You've got to, if the client doesn't have an objective goal or strategy, maybe they must go home and think about it in whichever sphere it is, be retirement planning, re minimizing debt, saving for a property, saving for a child's education. Um, it's very important to have those goals and objectives and strategies in place in order to help them. Well, we're going to take a break. Unfortunately, our lines are not working this evening, so we won't be taking calls on this program, but I certainly will deal with all the emails that have come in. We've got some real interesting ones. I suggest you stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Niimi. We're discussing financial planning. My guests, Daryl Bennett and Donovan Marie. Unfortunately, our numbers aren't working, so you can't call me, but you can still email me on brianh at bhca.za. Let's get to the first email quickly from Heidi in Jansburg. She said, how do I know if I have too much or too little life cover? Daryl, that's a good question. The starting point. How much life I'd cover does someone Well, I don't think a widow has ever complained that she's got too much life cover. Definitely not. <laughs> no, but from Donovan, I, I can't imagine that you've had too many debt claims in your life, fortunately, as I a young financial unfortunately advisor. Unfortunately, I have. have so you I have seen... Younger yes. people, you know, people with young children. Yes. But the question, as you say... No, well, it's a good question. So you've got to, you've got to, you've got to analyze. You've got to, I say to the client with life cover, unlike putting a pen and trying to sell the pen to the client, I pose them the question. I say to them, in the event of you passing on, how much money would you like your wife or your widow or your children to have on a monthly basis? And for how many years would you like them to have that money for? Because it's not an exact science. And then you capitalize that monthly amount. You can take it annually and then you can capitalize it. So that's the first thing. The second thing you've got to do is, is advise them that if that money was to be invested in an inflation matching scenario versus, a, say, a CPI plus a 5%, you would perhaps need more cover if it was invested conservatively versus less cover if it was invested more aggressively. Donovan, Donovan do you, uh, sure. how do you see it? How do you see calculating? The so th there's, there's a few key aspects when we do this calculation. So like Daryl mentioned, the one is how much would your dependents need on a monthly basis should you no longer be around? 
that's the one aspect. Secondly is the education. Do you want to cover the education for your children? Thirdly is the debt and all the liabilities that are associated with your estate. And it's important to understand that it's not just your debt on your mortgage and on your car, it's the liabilities that your estate is going to be liable for. So any estate duty, executor's fees, trustee fees, all of those need to be taken into account. And then lastly, if there's any lump sum bequest that you want to make to a niece, to a nephew, to some kind of charitable organization, and then you add all those different components together, and then you come to a lump sum figure. Well, I'm going to come back to that, but somehow we have our first caller on the line. So forgive me, I was saying a few minutes ago that our lines aren't working. Nicole, go ahead with the question. Good evening. Under the world is such a political situation, Nicole, Nicole, sorry, we're losing you. Do you mind just repeating your question? For the world, political turmoil, it is a fight for me to. I got, the, I got the part about political turmoil. Is it safe for you? Where would it be safe for Okay, where's the best Okay, okay. I mean, let's think about this, Daryl. I mean, 63% of financial advisors in the USA are negative about this. This is the most hated and unloved bull market we've ever had. The amazing thing is people see that as negative. I see that as positive. Because if I'm your financial advisor and I'm so negative on markets, I'm saying to you, guys, stay out of the market. Which means if 63% are saying stay out of the market, the run on the US market is not driven by a flow of cash. It's actually driven by concern, anxiety, which is very positive. Nicole says with all this political turmoil, so I would imagine she's referring to South Africa, how best would you invest? I think you've got to look through this. You've got to absolutely. Well, first of all, don't, keep, don't put it under the mattress because uh, you're not going to earn anything. And I also don't really put it in the bank because inflation is a lot higher than the interest that you're probably earning on cash. So it goes to putting a financial plan in place. It, it, it's one's got to ascertain what Nicole's needs are, what her objectives are, what her goals are, what her strategies are, what her short, medium and long-term plans are, and then place that money accordingly. No, it's a different strategy, short to long term. I mean, I always yes, talk about uh, short-term money as not an investment at all. I see the savings. Yes. Savings to use in the next two to three years, maybe yes. in the next one year. Take no risk on that money, have certainty and security. Yeah. But the long-term approach, I mean, if Nicole's question is, you know, with all the political uncertainty, and as I made the point is, this is a very unloved bull market. Yes. Long-term, it's got to be good to be investing in growth assets. Absolutely. So if we look at long-term wealth strategies, we can see that equity and property are the asset classes that outperform inflation the most over a period of time. But in the short term, there's a lot of noise around. If everyone was bullish on the market and everyone was excited, that's when I would be worried. The fact that there is a bit of concern in that, you've got to look through that through the long term. If you look at the fundamentals of the companies, there's still good earnings coming through. There's still a lot of good opportunities. So I would just look through that. And I think as South Africans, we're generally good at looking through the turmoil because we always seem to be in it. If you look at the headlines from five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there's always something. So you've got to look through that as just having that discipline and knowing that it's going to come out um, well at the <laughs> I end. I smile because he says 5, 10 or 15 years. I've been in the industry 53 years, I can tell you. <laughs> There's never been a period that there hasn't yes, been a turmoil exactly. in South Africa. Exactly. And obviously, globe. we've got Brad on the line. So guys, you can call me. Our number is 011, I think it's 2805350. It normally comes up on my strap. So if you just give me a second, I'll give you the number. But Brad, go ahead with your question. And, uh, I've got a living in unity. I want to know if now is a good time convert to a fixed annuity, if I stay in a living annuity, uh, should, how conservative should I be? 
Okay, I'll let, I'll, okay I'm just going to let yeah. you to ask, answer the first part of the okay. question. F fixed annuity yes. to living annuity. Okay, so it goes I mean, back. Fixed annuity so rates are No, but terrible, that's okay. Right? It depends. It depends on Brad's needs. So if Brad it does it, it does an exercise and works out he needs. 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 rand a month or whatever it may be, let him get quotes from all the different insurers. They will give him quotes. And if he... If, if, if on a fixed annuity. On a fixed annuity. And he can have it with a guarantee or without a guarantee or with a CPI increase or no CPI increase. If what he's getting from a reputable insurer is going to satisfy his needs and he's happy that he can sleep at night and that if he does pass away in a year or two and they keep the rest of the money, then move into the fixed annuity. If it's not going to cater for his needs, then he needs to be in the living annuity. And then the question about, he says, if he stays in the living annuity, component can't be too conservative. I mean, it depends on how much you're drawing as well. I mean, someone phoned me recently and said they're thinking of putting a living annuity and they're going to put government bonds into it. I said, well, you know, you're never going to beat inflation. And if you don't beat inflation long term, the person was 63 years old. I said, you know, you could have 30, 35 years of life still ahead of you. Absolutely. So you've got to remember when you retire, you're actually still a long term investor. So people retire at 60, 65, we're still living to 90, getting to 100. So you're still definitely a long-term investor. So in terms of the drawdown rate that he was asking to be safe, uh, the industry standard is about 5 to 6% drawdown. So if you draw down 5% and you invested in a, a balanced kind of portfolio, that should be able to last you. But there is going to be some risk in that because there is going to be equity and property in there. But you can't go into bonds and you can't just go into cash and keep it... Um, earning interest rates because like you said you're going to go backwards and as you mentioned earlier inflation in retirement is not the quoted CPR the five and a half percent at the moment it's closer to that nine percent so you definitely need to consider yourself a long-term investor and match your portfolio accordingly. So let me take you back to that living annuity. Yes. Do you think people when they retire and I get a lot of calls from people who are retiring understand the difference really between no. a fixed annuity and So annuity. that's what I was going to say so there, there are big fundamental differences first of all once you move from the living annuity into the fixed annuity there's no reversal you can't go back into the living annuity. But once you're in the living annuity, at a later stage, you can always convert it to a fixed annuity. The second, the other fundamental difference is in the living annuity, you're in control. You're in control of the underlying investments, and you can leave beneficiaries, and if it's managed correctly, it can be left in perpetuity. Once you're in the fixed annuity, you're not in control. It's not linked to the underlying investments. It's an actuarial calculation. So it goes back to what we spoke about earlier. It's all to do with planning and what your needs, time horizons, uh, are and then working around that. And then again how much risk you want to take. Yeah. And people don't realize that retirement, the money you've saved for all those years are for you to use in retirement. It isn't necessarily a fund to leave to your children. First come your needs and then if there's anything left over to the oh, children. Correct. But let's just take Muller. Muller, good evening. Would you go and do the question please? Yes, uh, Brian, good evening. Good evening. My name is Rashid. Brian, I've invested 20,000. I hold 20,000 shares in Mpumanati. They give a yield of 12, or approximately 12.4% after this. If I should get that income over a period of year, assuming I, I pass on, is it advisable to, to let, my, let my wife hold on to that money and love off that income? Or if I divide it by 12, they give you a yield of oh, 20,000 shares, gives me a yield of 12.5% per annum. Is that besides the other life policy that I hold. Well, uh, and what is that in terms of 20,000 shares? What's the actual value? The value is about hovering around 117 a share now, but it normally increases. I'll put a ballpark figure to it at 120 rand a share. So you're talking about 2.4 million? Yes. 
And so you better to invest it to keep it into the multi-choice or Pumanati okay. fund, or do I invest it to something else? Okay, it's been a great return. So let's deal with that when we come back. We're going to take a break, Mula Rashid. I'll come back to that question in our next segment. We're going to take a short break now. You can. It looks like our lines are working. You can call us on zero one one two eight zero five three five zero. Stay tuned. We're back now. Welcome back to you in your morning this evening. We're talking financial planning, and my guests are Daryl Bennett and Donovan Marie. So, um, I've got Rashid asked a question. Rashid, I'm not going to comment on the share. It's giving a phenomenal return. It's had phenomenal ret- uh, investment over the last 10 years, as you say, 120 rand a share. I always believe in diversification. I'm sure you both agree it's important Absolutely. to diversify, to have all that money in one share. But you're certainly not going to find investments that are giving 12.4% return. Well, the, the thing is, equity shares don't go up in a straight line. If we knew it was going to be linear, then yes, absolutely keep it there. The problem is that they are volatile. So diversification in terms of different shares, even different asset classes, so some equity, some property bonds, cash. So definitely keep it in the portfolio, but to put every th- all your eggs in one basket uh, can be risky. Okay. Daryl, I'm just getting in there. Uh, Daryl, just a quick, a woman, I got a call from Lizelle in Kempton Park. She says, what should women know differently from their husbands? Should they plan differently? Well, I think, first of all, women should upskill themselves. They should read a lot. They should know what's going on in the financial affairs. There are a lot of women who, when their husbands pass away, even if they've left them life insurance policies and, and, and the assets have been left to the w- in, into, from the world to them, a lot of them don't know what to do because they, they haven't been involved in the financial affairs of the family over all that time. So they should know exactly what's going on just as their husband should. Yeah, I mean, you know, today one in three marriages ends in divorce. So I think, you know, the family should work as a family unit in terms of what's important for both of them, particularly if both spouses are working. But then they should each have their financial plans and plan, as you made the point, have some objectives and understand what they're doing. Rashid, just to finish off that question, I mean, you've done well out of that share. You talk about if something should happen to you, should your wife keep that share? You know, circumstances change. We've had phenomenal shares that five, ten years down the line have not performed as well as other shares. So I always believe in diversification. There's a big capital gains tax here and you need to understand. Maybe slowly you should be diversifying from one share to a different portfolio. Let's go to our emails. Yvonne in Simonstown says, there's such a large universe of unit trusts. How would I know which one to choose? There are 1,400 from them. Throw a dot. One needs to choose a strategy. One needs to look at a person's needs and understand what their money needs to do above inflation. So if you need to achieve high growth and need inflation plus 7%, then you would predominantly be in equities. And there are actuaries and there are analysts that can put together portfolios that have so many unit trusts or different unit trusts in equity, bonds, property and cash and make up the mix because it's impossible to choose a particular unit trust. Are you talking about multi-manager? Uh, not necessarily. You can have a single manager or a multi-manager. It's a question of style. But you can't choose a unit trust. I mean, if you chose five unit trusts, uh, and, and, and well, you from year to year, one will come first, one will yeah, come you fifth. You choose the top of the pops. You say, which one had performed the best, and I choose yeah. that. Donovan? So a surefire way to lose money is to do that. So pick yesterday's winners and put them in your portfolio today. 
because if you look at the statistics, often previous year's winner don't feature in the top quartile the following year. So it's important to understand that different unit trust managers have different mandates, which you can see on the fun fact sheet. How do they manage their money? And there's different styles, like Daryl said. So some are growth, some are momentum, some are value. So they're going to manage your money in different ways, invest in different companies. So to have a combination of those will actually smooth out the portfolio over a period of time, rather than just picking one and just hoping that they... Yeah, look, look, I must tell you, the same way as I believe in segregated share portfolios, where a manager will pick 15 to 20 shares, I'm a firm believer in multi-manager, where you leave it to people who are specialized in picking the right fund and and making, and, and making those decisions. Correct. Uh, David in Nelspeth says, I'm 54, I've not saved much for retirement. How would you suggest I go about calculating my shortfall and how possibly can I now save enough to create enough funds at retirement? Well, at 54, sure. you haven't got a chance. But better to do something than to do nothing. It is. And you can even get SARS to help fund that. So the first thing is to understand your numbers. How much do you currently have saved? How much are you currently he saving? He says very little. Very little. So, but still understand what that number is. Because then... Once you understand the number, you can then start working on it. So see, if you, in, if you increase your contributions, what kind of effect is that going to have? Maybe increase your contributions by more than inflation each year. So on the retirement annuity contract, increase about 10, 15% rather than just inflation. So over time, that'll make uh, quite a difference. But you use the financial plan to do the calculations. Yes, but uh, you've got 11 years left. You've lo lost out on 30 years of compound interest. He's not going to look the bottom line. He's not going to retire. Not yeah. starting at 50. But you can't do nothing. You can't say, well, I, I've got nothing, so I'm going to uh, do well nothing. Well, you've got to have an objective. You've got to, you've got to have somewhere. a goal. Work on yeah. a 10-year plan, 15-year yeah. plan. Save tax pay, put into a retirement yeah. fund, and get some type of target. A Duncan in Pinetown says, please explain how dreaded disease, capital disability, income protection, gap cover, and medical aids all work hand in hand, or is there a lot of duplication? Daryl, this is a subject on its own. Quick answer. Sure, so, well, it depends on the company you're working with. I don't want to advertise on, the, on, on TV, but some of them integrate everything together, and there is a lot of overlapping. Um, they, it is technical. They do cover different needs. A medical aid pretty much covers you in hospital. Uh, depending on what plan you want and will cover part of your payment to the doctor and a dread disease will pay you for a dreadful or a critical illness a percentage of the sum assured um, income protection will pay you in the event that you cannot work capital disability will pay your capital amount in the event that you can't perform your own job and, but gap, it's in, cover. and gap cover will, will, will make up the gap of the shortfall when you're in hospital uh, that the medical aid won't pay Donovan you need, it's, not a, it's not an or no. I mean, it is and, you yes. know, having a look, as yes. Daryl said, you know, yes. start with your medical aid and then look all around it, where, yes. where the shortfalls are. Yeah, so the gap cover and the medical aid will work well together. And then the dread disease, capital disability, income protection is often on your life policy. So then those work together, but they definitely do cover different aspects. So like Daryl mentioned, the disability is more for your occupation. Um, dread disease is more on diagnosis of strokes, cancer, heart attack. And income protection is if you lose your ability to earn an income, where are you going to get your salary from? Because you can't be employed anymore. So then rather... Basically, in layman's terms, I like to put it this way. To say, if my job to take care of the risk is to take cotton wool and a titanium belt and strap you up in that titanium belt so that anything happens to you, you protect it. Lauren Dermis says, I've recently stopped a retirement annuity and the insurance company 
can charge exorbitant penalty on the fund value. What can I do about it? Well, there are legislation in terms of how much penalty. I think it's maybe 15% that they can charge. It, in previous years, it's been absolutely an enormous penalty. 30 percent 40%. All you can do is just check up with the insurance company what they have charged, what percentage they've charged. You always have the, the long-term ombudsman to go to, the pension adjudicator, if you're unhappy. Robin Santon says, can I appoint anyone to be the beneficiary of my life and investment policies, and can this be contested in the same way that it will can be contested. I think you've got freedom of choice. Okay, so life insurance policy, yes, the investment depends how it's housed. If the investment is in a retirement fund, then the answer is no, because the trustees under Section 37C of the Pension Fund Act have got a fiduciary duty to look for dependence, either factual or non-factual dependence. So it depends on the on, on the, the legislation. If it falls under the Long-Term Insurance Act, then yes. But if it's under the Pension Fund Act, then no. No, you can't contest. You can't contest the beneficiaries no. under, an, under a life and no. policy. No. no. Only show if there was fraud, any fraudulent, anyone has signed anything. Illerat and Darwin says, Durbin says, I've got two properties, both with bonds. I recently resigned and took my pension money. I put some into my bond and would like to invest the balance in a three to five year investment. What is your advice? Darryl? True. Well, he's not quite you could put it. You, you know, if you've still got bonds, it's not a bad place to house that money, certainly if you know it's an access bond and you, can, and you can get the money out again. Well, exactly. And also debt destroys wealth. So the sooner you get your debt levels down, the more cash flow you'll have to invest into uh, your retirement. Well, guys, I'm going to have to bring you back because we never got to, through to any of the emails. I've still got another five, six emails and others coming in. We'll do, the, we'll, we'll do the program shortly again. There are different periods in one's life that will require money. Everyone has different requirements. However, there are two critical areas common to all. These are firstly maintaining your family's lifestyle in the event of premature death and at the same time ensuring peace of mind. And this is where life insurance and other allied covers come into play. Creating assets or relative wealth that will provide income in the years ahead to give one financial freedom. This is all about long-term planning for retirement. Donovan, Darrell, thank you for joining me this evening. Right. It's important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as, as advice. Next week's program, We'll focus on hedge funds. If you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.